Greetings, pod people, and welcome to another instalment of Strangers to the Multiplex. Bit of a strange one, this one. Uh, we sat down to record a podcast on the Sam Raimi Spider-Man trilogy. We had a very good time doing it. Um, got to the end of it and realised we've got enough two episodes of the podcast in our recording session. So what we're going to do, uh, the podcast you're listening to today, will cover parts one and two of the trilogy. And then uh, next week, we're going to release the second part of the podcast, which will cover the third movie and the possible fourth movie they were planning before it was axed. Um, not the full Stranger team today. And we were kind of watching Batman and Superman while we were recording. And that's why you might hear me shout at one point, hey, look, it's Aquaman. So, yeah, enjoy the podcast. It's the first two movies. And we'll speak to you again in about a week with the second part. Enjoy. Spider-Man, Spider-Man, does whatever a spider can. Spins a web, any size, catches seeds, just like flies, look out, here comes the Spider-Man. Hello, and welcome to Strangers to the Multiplex. We have a slightly different show for you today, there's just the three of us, we thought we'd mix it up a little bit. So, we have me as your host, Fussy Bitch, and with me I have Mr. Stu. Yo. And Neil, complimentary copies. Hello. Hello. For this podcast... With Spider-Man Homecoming due out next year, I figured it now's a good time to talk about the uh, Sam Raimi Spider-Man trilogy. So, guys, <laughs> I think we can all agree it's a, it's a mixed bag. But, uh, it's a very mixed bag. Very mixed bag, yes. Shall we uh, start at the beginning? Why not? That would be uh, 2002, 2000, 2002 Spider-Man. 2002 Spider-Man. Can I give you a fun fact for 2002 Spider-Man? Yes, you can. Tobey Maguire. 27 years of age. Yes. <laughs> in, the, in, the, in the first Spider-Man movie. And still looks about 18, and even now, even he, today. He, he looks good for it, to be fair. Um, okay, what are your memories of the first Spider-Man movie? When did you first see it? Um, I mean, Spider-Man's always been a, probably my favourite superhero, so I was quite excited to see the, uh, the films coming out. And like the cast, looking forward to it, and, you know... Trailers look pretty impressive, and I have to say I was, I was pretty much blown away when I saw it at the cinema. You saw it at cinema? I saw, yeah, I saw it at the cinema, I think opening weekend, uh, went with a bunch of friends, really, really enjoyed it. And uh, I watched it again last night, and I have to say, I still really enjoy it, and I still think it stands up as one of the best superhero movies. No, I know from our conversations previously, <coughs> you're uh, deeply versed in comic books. How about yeah. you, Spider-Man? Do you remember I... the first time you saw it? Yeah, again, at the cinema, uh, on, on the original year of release. Um, very excited to see it. Came out grinning like a, a, t- a ten-year-old, <laughs> having eaten too many sweets. Um, uh, but on review, kind of, kind of going back to it recently, I think it, it's a bit telling. Some of the Marvel universe has got a lot more advanced. Mm. Uh, but I think it still stands up as a fun film. Mm. It's probably that the structure's not as uh, mature. As the, the the new Marvel films. See, I can remember at the time the first movie was released. I didn't see it at the cinema because I was quite poor at the time. I had to wait for it to come out on DVD, and I can remember watching it and thinking it was okay. It wasn't amazing. Um, having rewatched it for the purpose of this, I actually enjoyed it a lot more. Um, having seen it recently, mm. Rob, what did you make of it? 
Uh, I really liked it. I think, um, I mean, the Mesa Gray cameo aside, I think it really does stand the, uh, stand <laughs> the test of time. It has dated it somewhat, unfortunately. Um, I, I think I've got a feeling that's because of Sony and it was just, who's big at the time, let's chuck them in and, and job done. It's a bit like Fergie appearing in the... Um, Poseidon Adventure movie and it's just like when you say Fergie are we referring to, are we referring to the disgraced royal or some kind of pop star I'm not as familiar with <laughs> that would have made the film more interesting but I digress she turns up with a helicopter she does What's a helicopter called? oh budgie budgie, budgie the helicopter can you imagine yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're about to die at the end of the movie the third act here comes budgie but, um, uh, but yeah back to Spider-Man <laughs> Uh, one thing I, really, I mean, as when the film came out in 2002, I mean, uh, I know along with yourself, we were studying film at university. Uh, we were very much into cinema and everything about it. And for someone like Sam Raimi, as being a huge fan of the Evil Dead films, for him to take on such a, a major property, a superhero film, and not in that, but my favourite, um, was just very, very exciting. And it was fun watching the film and watching what he brought to Spider Man, something that for me, no one's really replicated since with that character. I mean, we'll see what Homecoming brings. But I think there's, there's certain telling moments, particularly in the second film, that is pure Sam Raimi. And I think there's very few directors that get brought onto the, the new Marvel films now that have already inbuilt that style, that sense of you know the, the vision and what they bring to films. And I think Spider-Man, it's, it's, it's just... The joy of Sam Raimi in that film and how much he loves the characters, how much he understands the characters, I think it really shines through. Would you go as far to say that yeah. Sam, Sam Raimi is far more interested in Peter Parker than he is Spider-Man? Yes. yes. It occurs to me that the movie goes on for the best part of an hour before you even see kind of like Spider-Man in costume, which isn't necessarily mm. unusual for superhero movies. But no. again, the Green Goblin's not introduced until much a later stage yes. in the movie as well. I think um, I think we've been spoiled by the by the Marvel way of making movies since, in that your so. villains are very much introduced in the first ten fifteen minutes as is your hero, <laughs> and this is what they want to fight. And Sam Raimi doesn't seem in that hurry to sort of establish that. No, the film isn't. I mean, the third film is very rushed, which we'll get to. We'll get to. Which, but it takes everything that, that Sam Raimi sets up in the first two films and how his style of, of filmmaking is. He just goes on a different tangent for the third one. And that makes it a more modern superhero film has, you know, outside what Marvel make, is generally, Spider-Man 3 is generally what's, would get made by most other directors. I think Sam Raimi keeps it short, keeps it one bad guy, and uh, I don't think it's any... I, th I think it's... I'm trying to think words out. I'm trying to think... Um, <laughs> I think it's telling that the first two Spider-Man films are very good and have one villain in each. Uh, don't yeah. you think, in, with a retrospect hat yes. on, yes. Um, I actually thought that certainly the first two um, is, is Raimi's actually trying to make uh, a monster feature yes yes he's, he's yes. making a universal yeah <laughs> a tribute to the universal monster feature mm. so actually the first film is very uh jekyll and hyde both with peter and spider-man mm. and the goblin mm. and osborne as well yes that's a very good point in terms of the first movie what would you say are the highlights what really sells the movie to you now apart from obviously the, the macy gray and the Nickelback song at the oh, end. I that was the second one, but I might be wrong. No, no it's the no, first yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. I'm getting yeah, my soundtrack. I, I was listening there. to that last night, yeah. unfortunately. Um, 
the highlights for me would probably be uh, Kirsten Dunst. Yes. Uh, in all of the three movies, I think she's the most likeable and probably has the most to do in the first one. Yeah, she's not just a, a, a piece of meat screaming, basically, no. in, in the first one. Um, I, I think Kirsty Dunst's performance is great. I, I actually think William Defoe's performance is great as well. Yeah, he is fantastic. Given the limitations of the fact he's got a mask on most yes. of the time. To state the obvious, we, I actually think he's better as Norman Osborn than I do as the Goblin. Yes, we, yeah. we will get to the suit at some point. <laughs> but no, he is a very good Norman Osborn. Okay. What else you got? Um, I, I, I like the fact that we had Al Seed from True Blood as uh, Flash Thompson. Yes, you pointed yes. that out to me, I didn't realise that. Oh. He looks about 40 in that yeah, film yeah. and he's meant to be in high school. Yeah, it's <laughs> kind of, yeah, it's the the totally yeah. He was held back a few decades. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he was a jock at Star Yes, yes. Um, oh, I, I like the fact it kind of mirrored Darkman as well. Okay. Uh, yeah. Which is also one of my, my favourite If you haven't seen listeners, watch. It's awesome. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant. I made like, like three or four Darkman films. In the you end, don't watch the sequels. No. Just stick with Darkman. <laughs> uh, and the fact that it that it's very kind of Corman-esque as well. I mean, mm. I've, I've talked about Universal Monsters, but there's this whole... I mean, Raimi was brought up and at some point kind of moved over into that stable of the, the B-movies thing. That That's great as well. Um, apart from that, I, I think it was it was just a genuine joy when it first came out. I've seen Spider-Man realised on the big screen. Yes. And I think we'll come to that later, but like, even I was watching the amazing Spider-Man movies, which were <laughs> awful, but there is still a certain joy to seeing Spider-Man fly yeah. through, like, the, the, through the New Spider-Man York, swing know? scenes in the Amazing Spider-Man are very, very good. That's something they've got right throughout all the amazing. Spider-Man films. Yes. Mm. I, I, I often, I think when you watch the first two movies, the Super Raimi movies together, they might have used the same footage for a lot of the swinging scenes. Well, funny that. <laughs> I, was, <clears throat> I was doing their background research and they did the, there was basically no time between production ending on Spider-Man 1 and production beginning on Spider-Man 2. I think Sam Raimi had a week, no, didn't have any time off. And one of the main producers only had a week of holiday between the two films. So I think it's it's quite interesting watching the, the tone of the films for the first two be very, very similar. Much like, um, like uh, I think it was Superman and Superman 2 back in the 70s, yes. shot back-to-back. Back, like, like, yeah, of, like I mean, they weren't thing, shot back-to-back. Yeah. But They might as well have been. They yeah. might as well have been, you know, they, they kept the ball rolling, they kept the momentum going from the first one. I think, like Neil said, one of the strengths of the first one in particular is the establishing of the universe for Spider-Man mm. and the casting. J.K. Simmons. If you could find someone <laughs> more perfect for um, Jonah Jameson, I don't possible. think you could find him. He's no. amazing. Um, and I also think Raimi, especially in the first one, settles his roots in that kind of soap opera that Stanley used in a lot of the uh, 60s mm. Spider-Man comics. Mm. You know? well, that, that's something we need to mention because Raimi is heavily influenced by, by the, the 60s, 60s Spider-Man. Yes. And I think that's when he comes into problems with the third one, which we'll get yes, into later. again, yeah. But um, yeah, it's very much the sort of like Peter Parker's a boy who's in love with a girl and he just happens to have superpowers. Keep it simple. It, it's, it seemed to work for Stanley, and mm. um, I think Raimi as well has picked up on that quite well. What do we make of um, the origin scene itself? I know me and you, we've spoke a lot about um, Batman and how every movie you see Batman's original. Uh. 
in Spider-Man, I would argue it was done quite painlessly and quite quickly. Yes. I think he's bitten by the spider in the first, what, 10, 15 minutes? Yeah. Yeah, it's one of yeah. the very first scenes. And while we don't see him in costume as the, as fully fully established as Spider-Man to a lot later, that's done quite but quickly. I think yeah, I think it's... I mean, the, the whole wrestling sequence with the, obviously Bruce Campbell as the ring announcer... I think that works really, really well, and he's basically in his pajamas. Yes, <coughs> wrestling. Uh, I do wonder by the time it comes up, to, by the time <clears throat> it comes up to homecoming, whether we'll see him as a UFC cage fighter. Oh, I hope not. Uh, I can see it happening. <laughs> it's, it's more, it's the more kid's about seventy. <laughs> he, he does fight in a cage in the first one. He, he does. does. They do he lower does. the no cage. No one told me it was a cage. Which I think was. Uh, I remember even watching that in two thousand and two, and thinking. Surely that's just going to help him. That's yeah. just just because. It's, I mean, imagine if it wasn't. If he was being Spider-Man and it's a normal ring. I think. I think it's also kind of. It shows the sadistic nature of this wrestling company, whoever mm. they are, this yes. promoter, in the fact that the fight before didn't have a cage, so the really big bloke who got yeah. it, <laughs> out of it could get out of it. Yeah. They put a kid in there, they put a cage it's down. Like, yeah. well, I mean, that ties in perfectly with uh, Sam Raimi's desire to torture Peter yeah. Parker throughout the entire trilogy as best possibly he can. I mean, there's, there's a great sequence in, I think it's the second film, where he actually drops his school books and people are brushing past him, and someone hits him really hard in the head with a bag, that's Sam Raimi himself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it is interesting that Sam Raimi chooses a more kind of emotional torture of Peter Parker. Yes. You can't have the woman you love, there mm. will be this complication, you'll react, um, this will happen, that will happen, as opposed to visual torture. Well, that's, I mean, certainly in the wake of um, Superman, Batman, that's something that that film could sorely have done with. There's more, more of emotional beats rather than yeah, I mean the the, the Spider Man trilogy they really just let the characters play out. Oh the irony, you say this as we're watching we're watching a Batman <laughs> watching Superman, Superman on screen and we can see Batman just turning into Rocky for five minutes yeah. and pulling a chain with ball on. Even Rocky needs a mantra. <laughs> yeah. Back to back to Spider Man. <laughs> uh, thank you for that. That was you're wonderful. Welcome, you're welcome, yes. Yeah, um very much you wouldn't given Raimi's past with Evil Dead and very mm. kind of slapstick gore. You wouldn't imagine a sort of a Dawson's Creek take on superheroes. No, but, but he carries it off. He carries well. it off very well. And the, I was again watching last night the the quick cutting in certain scenes, and obviously the obvious ones where Norman Osborn turns into Green Goblin. Oh, I don't. I've, I've, I've trouble with that. Yeah, yeah I've trouble with that. Yeah. <laughs> but um, there's so, especially with the spider sense tingling, the the the, the iconic kind of Sam Raimi quick cutting. And uh, it's his directorial style really, really shines through. And again, I mean, we've seen with the Mark Webb Amazing Spider-Man ones, he doesn't really have a directorial style. Mm-hmm. He just lets the films play out. And the films really suffer. I mean, the scripts are dreadful, which doesn't help. But um, I think having someone who really, really knows how to direct these films and bring his own personality to them really, really helps them. Well, um, Neil, being a long just to establish, me and Neil, we've often talked of Spider-Man comics we used to read when we were younger. Being a comic book fan, what did you make of the organic um, shooters? Uh, n- not a big fan. <laughs> no, no, me yeah. neither. Not, not a big fan at all. Um, I, I think, and I remember there was an MTV sketch mm. years ago. I think it was on the MTV Movie Awards, probably around 2002, 2003 where they actually equated it to him prematurely ejaculating <laughs> when walking out there and Jane through yeah. the window. To be fair, he'd, he'd, have, he'd have source material, wouldn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and I actually think that that was probably Raimi's intention 
You know, we're talking about yeah. the Dawson Creek thing, and there's this idea of this organic stuff coming out, this sticky stuff coming out of this young man. Sticky webbing. Uh, that, that initially you can't control. It also gives uh, Raimi kind of a power in which to basically take the mickey out of a lot of other superhero films. You know, he, he says the Shazam... He does the yeah. he does the devil's horn yeah. with his hand, everything to try and get this webbing to it, and I always think that that actually the organic webbing was just a setup for that visual joke from Raimi. <laughs> Apparently, well, the, we need yeah we need to talk about where this, the actual organic webbing came from, and it was an original James Cameron script back in the eighties from back yeah, in the eighties, and um, if you really need to read about that script online because it's it's out there, but one of the things that did tie over from that was the. The organic weapon. But I also think that suits um, Raimi better as a director. Yes. You think The Evil Dead, the idea of a, a very organic horror yes, in the forest. Yes. Well, it's, it's, body, it's almost like body horror. Yes. It's body horror. It's the I'm, fly, isn't it? I mean, yeah. Well, I, I, I mean, for me, I, th- I think I've, I've already said about the Universal Monsters, this is Jekyll and Hyde. Mm. Mm. So so this is a this is a man finding a, a second nature within himself, this kind of duality of... Of both personalities, which Osborne obviously sums up better. Perfectly, yeah. Uh, but but this idea of the, the 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 organic webbing and this physical development of him, uh, as you said, harks back to things like the Fly, which is quite interesting because Spider Man would have been Fly Man originally. Yeah, again, had Stanley had his way, it would have been Fly Man. Well, we've mentioned it then. Let's move on to Norman Osborne yeah. and Green Goblin, yeah. the suit. Yeah, um, oh. I I didn't like. As a, as as a teenager, as a child, my my favourite Spider-Man villain by far was the Green Goblin. Yes. I liked the relationship he had with Peter Parker. I liked the fact that Norman Osborn was crazy and didn't necessarily want or need to tell the world that Peter Parker was Spider-Man, even though he knew mm. he, had, he had that against Spider-Man. He never quite used it. Mm. So I don't I didn't think he needed a flashy suit. Um, no. There's there's something kind of quite horrific about the Goblin suit in itself mm. with the mask and stuff. Well, there is production designs that you can see online. They did actually do an animatronic Green Goblin, very similar to the comics, actual face mask that did move, right. much like, like uh, almost like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movies, very similar along those kinds of lines. And um, having seen that, it, I can't see that working at all. What does, and this is an open question to both of you, <clears throat> what does the robot suit add to it? Nothing. No, it doesn't. But I, I, having watched it again mm. in retrospect, I, I think it's actually to do with technical limitations of yes. the flying versus the swinging. Right. Okay. Because Superman, uh, super, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Spider-Man, uh, obviously, mm. there's no real expression from his no, face no. mask. This is true. So it's quite easy to do while he's swinging. Kind yes. of quite easy to render on the screen. Very good point. And I was wondering whether that was the same for the Goblin. Possibly. Yeah. I just, I, there's the whole thing with the goblin, goblin serum and the idea that they've developed it for military use. So I suppose the mm. idea that it's a robot suit for anybody to use is an extension of that. Mm. And we've also got to figure out how the how Norman Osborn as a character would have worked if they'd have changed him into the Green Goblin and he'd looked the way he did. Yeah. And <clears throat> all the scenes with his son, you know, when he goes around for I think it's Thanksgiving dinner. And it's yeah, granted it's not the greatest scene in the world, but you can't have any of that mm. moving forward. And um, yeah, with him being transformed on his own, he can't generally appear in general populace looking the way he does. No, that's that's fair enough. I, when watching it um, last week as well, I was wondering what would Marvel Studios do 
if they were to do the Green Goblin again, which I don't think they should, given the fact they've done the Green Goblin twice in the last 15 yeah. years, yeah. what would Marvel Studios do with it? And I imagine they'd probably follow the Ultimates route, which is the idea of the Green Goblin, but he's, he's, um, he's taken the serum and as a, as a result of which it boosts his physique. Mm. Do you, have you read the... Yeah, I'm looking at yeah. you, Neil. Have you read the, the Ultimates... Spider-Man. But, but you see, I, I think I'd just go with the Halloween mask, which is what it originally... I think Ramita. Uh, yeah. It's the Ramita run. Well, literally, the Goblin was a guy with a Halloween <laughs> mask on. That could work. Yeah. But again, would modern cinema audiences... Would that work for them? I think you could always find a way to make it plausible. I mean, the Scarecrow worked yeah. In, yeah. Uh, in Dark Knight. And you think, essentially, Spider-Man is just a man in the mask. Yeah. Because I, I think a leap into three and then quickly coming yeah. back to one... <laughs> But with the whatever they they called James Franco, oh the skyboarding, skyboarding, Goblin Jr. They were obviously trying two options with that as well. Is one put him in a BMX mask, yeah, and then two actually physically scar him. So yeah. after the the pumpkin bombs, yeah, there was physical scar in there, and I think that was them just trying to explore <laughs> how <laughs> you could, do with the goblin. Yeah, yeah. they've got sinister sticks potentially down the line. How can we get the Goblin to look more like the Goblin for the mm. Sinister Six? Because technology's obviously moved on. Well, I mean, they tried that in Amazing Spider-Man 2 with, um, yeah. DeHaan. We're doing, yeah, Dean DeHaan, who's actually a very good actor, but awful in that film. And uh, I really didn't think that worked at all. I think it, it just looked so daft. Mm. Let's, um, before we move on to the next people, let's just run down the rest of the casting. Mm. Um, James Franco. he's a wonderful actor but I just don't think he's given the time of day in these movies in in this trilogy you'd struggle it's like um, most of the people in the um, George Lucas prequel trilogies you can put great actors in there and they just don't work I think James Franco is a very good actor but in these trilogy films it's not a strong performance at all not at all and he's he's even come on and said um, after the fact that he didn't enjoy working on these uh, on this trilogy I think his credibility as an actor and his involvement is pushed as the trilogy goes on, but we'll get to mm. that in a second. Mm. Um, I, you'll forgive me, I don't know the actress's name, but Aunt May. I, I don't like the use of Aunt May as in this, but I do think she's perfect. Yeah, she's yeah, the best Aunt May. Yeah, yes, I, yeah. She, she, I mean, she, she's cast for how she looks. Yes. She, yes, but I think she's given so many speeches. There's a very kind of... <laughs> Very, very heavy, kind of laboured um, line of dialogue she has when she's giving um, Ben Parker breakfast in one of the early scenes. Mm. You're the most responsible man I yeah. know. There's a lot of that melodrama all the way through. I think at the mm. end, she goes, thank, I, I, everyone kind of says, thank God for you, Peter, at some point. Yes. Yeah. Osborne <laughs> says it. I think his, his Aunt May says it as well. And there's that kind of overwroughtness, almost like, that, well, we've got to take it in, I, I guess, in a historical context as well. Mm. 9-11 had happened. Yes. Like, I, I, think, you know, I, think all, I think all three films as well, there's a sense of 9-11 there and New York trying to fight their yeah. way back from that. Particularly in the second film, On the Train, again, we'll go to he, Does he land in front of a flag at one point as well? That's in the first one. Yeah, he hangs from the American flag. And that's it's, right. But that's even more so in the Amazing, Amazing Spider-Man one, where he's swinging between the cranes and 
Oh, I, and oh, I almost died from the amount of vomit that came out of my mouth during that scene. And, and in one, there's a lot of kind of like you. That I, th- I think they use the same line in one and two, which is you don't mess with New York. Yes. yes. As they throw bricks yes. down at the goblins. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that line identically. It's certainly hinted. At. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. I think they like, start throwing things at Doctor Octopus at one point yeah. as well, don't they? Yeah. But something I noticed was um, during the climactic battle with Green Goblin, where he gives Spider-Man the choice between saving the uh, the um, whatever it is, the group of people in the yeah, the kids in, in the, the school cable cars, yeah, 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 which yeah. stole very heavily yeah. from um, the night Gwen, Gwen Stacy. Well, yeah. that's what I was thinking because yeah. I, I was watching that again, and of course it was obviously Mary Jane, and I thought, well, that's quite interesting how they've chosen to do that for that sequence. I, I, I presume Raimi didn't know if he was going to get a sequel or not, mm. so he was going to do the climatic battle between Goblin and Peter Parker. But why choose that sequence? I, I, Consider I, it's not Gwen Stacy and no one's going to die. I just think it's it's like a love letter to the original comics. Mm, I think seven. I think definitely Gwen Stacy was the seventies, and it's a bit out of Raimi's sort of like love period yeah, with the sort of material. Really but I wanted to go to discuss this briefly. There's not much in the first movie to naturally suggest that Peter Parker and Norman Osborn should be fighting, and there's an extension Spider Man and the Green Goblin fighting. They have this chemistry as people in the real world. Which I like. Which was very good. I I like the fact Norman Osborn is more interested in Peter than he is his own son. And it felt natural. Crucially. He was like, this is Peter Parker. Oh yeah, you're the science genius. I've heard of I'm a scientist myself, yes. So it's like Peter Peter and Norman have that link that Harry and Norman don't have. Yes. And as much as Norman wants to love his son, he can't really find that bond yeah, with it. It's layers. Peel the onion. Peel the onion. Peel indeed. the onion. Or peel the pumpkin bomb. Peel the pumpkin bomb. You know? yeah. But it's when Spider-Man and the Goblin come to confront each other. It's Goblin suggests it's just because they're the only two superpowered people. They don't seem to have much more to sort of. Yeah, Green Goblin doesn't have much more motive apart from taking his company back, no. and that's then just trying to kill Spider-Man. Which leads me to believe Raim is more interested in Peter Parker and Norman Osborn than he is Spider-Man and the Green Goblin. Which is a very good point. Which, which is why I think he lays really obviously, and this could be because Marvel have become so refined at what they're doing, but you go back to the, the bit where Peter's actually bitten, and there's a, whole, there's a whole kind of visual and audio clues exactly what his powers are going to be mm. by the screens around yeah. him yes. and then there's the red and blue spider that bites him yeah. but even, if, <laughs> even in the opening credits you get the spider web don't you I yeah. think you get the spider bite of the bite of the spider and he goes off into like um, you see the spider's webs and stuff but, it, but it, they really they, he kind of he foreshadows exactly what Spider-Man's powers oh, are going to be yeah. within that lab it's yeah. no secret is now, it? whereas no. you don't get as much of that with the goblin no. They kind of go, oh, yeah, a bit of... Bit yeah, of he's, he's, he's crazy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Oh, there's that laugh again. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what did you make of the, the relationship between Peter Parker and uh, Mary Jane? I thought it was pretty fantastic. Yeah? Yeah, I've, I've, I've always liked... I've liked both actors. Yeah. Very much so, and I think they have good chemistry within the film, kind of awkward chemistry as well. Um, I actually, I, I think he's very well cast. I really like him. Peter Parker, what do we think of him as Peter Parker? I think he's a very good Peter Parker. Really? I know Sam Raimi fought to keep him. Um, he was under a lot of competition, and Sony themselves weren't that fussed with, hir- with hiring him. And But I think for Sam Raimi to push for, for him to get the role, and I think he's fantastic in it. 
I mean, I do remember he injured himself during Seabiscuit. He injured yeah, <coughs> to the point and where um, Jake Jake Gyllenhaal yep. was going to get, and I was like, you know what? I could see that. And Jake Gyllenhaal even went into training for it. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure it's between number two and number three. It was between one and two. Number two, right? Okay, yeah. and he went into training and he dropped out of her commitments to be Spider Man. Yeah. Because they didn't think Maguire would get to it. I'm, I'm sure they compensated him for it. I know Tobey Maguire got an extra four million for getting into the, wow. for climbing back into the spandex. Somehow into the saddle. It? Into <laughs> the saddle. Yeah. Well, did you make a Maguire as Parker? And they used to read the comics and stuff. Yeah, I I think he does teen angst well, even at 28, 28. or whatever he was yeah. at the time. <laughs> um, and. You know, we see things like Ice Storm, and we were talking about the other film the other day, Wonder Boys. Wonder Boys, great of course, films. It was. Yeah. yeah, that's great. great. I mean, I mean, that's great. But again, you know, he's he's doing that studenty teen angst thing yes. really, really well. Mm. He's looking the fact that when the suit's on, he doesn't really need to act as Spider Man. No, it, no. It, it's purely action. Well, it's much like Michael Keaton as Batman. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So I I think he worked really really well. Mm. I think the issue we've got, and we'll probably go on when we talk about later films, but is as they try and advance his character past mopey teenager, he doesn't he doesn't really no. develop. At all. <laughs> and I, I think I think that's my argument. I think he doesn't he doesn't develop as Peter Parker. I think he's always the high school nerd, which was ne- wasn't necessarily the way in the comics. In the comics, he seemed to progress from that yeah. once he got his Spider Man powers. But yeah, in the movie, he doesn't. He's always Dawson from Dawson's Creek throughout. Yeah, and and jumping to the Amazing Spider Man for a second Ugh. is, but at least. Uh, Garfield mm. could do the smart aleck comments as Spider-Man. Yes. yes. Whereas the quips never really worked from Maguire's mouth for some reason. No. That was the one thing the Amazing Spider-Man did get right was the um, was Spider-Man himself. I'm not going to say Peter Parker, but uh, Spider-Man being sarcastic. Yeah. And, yes. Yeah, that's something they did very get very so. right. Um, sorry, to go back to your point, the last battle between um, Norman Osborn and Peter Parker, he has that wonderful line where he's about to die, the Goblin Glide has gone for him, mm. he kind of lolls forward and he just says to Parker before he dies, don't tell Harry. And he doesn't. And that's marvellous. Yes. That, that, I think they've, they've understood there the relationship between Harry Osborn, mm. Norman Osborn and Peter Parker. And as far as, as Norman Osborn has gone, his last moments, his last thoughts are for his son. Um, um, not want to disgrace his song. Not want to disgrace his song. Yeah. I, th- I thought, yeah, perfectly encapsulated the characters and fantastically performed. Yeah. Okay. And it, have we missed anything on the first one? Uh, just that Hugh Jackman was going to make a cameo as well. He was, and apparently the only thing that stopped him was the fact they couldn't <laughs> get his costume, the costume there. costume, yeah. Damn you. Because this is like the Marvel Universe, what, six years before Marvel yeah. Studios started? But it was Kevin Feige who was pushing to do it. Who's now head of Marvel Studios, so... Okay. Yeah. Are we all happy with that? Yeah, Let's yeah. Let's put the first to bed. I want to start with um, Spider-Man 2 from 2004 by mentioning the um, credit sequence that leads into it. Very, very good credit sequence, it has to be said. Excellent credit sequence. It's um, illustrated, I believe, by Alex Ross. Having a look at those illustrations, right. I would say that was Alex Ross paintings. Um, and I think the likes of Batman vs Superman could have learnt a lot from that yes can you imagine if you bung those and the, the, the credits <laughs> how much of the movie you'd actually save without summing up who's what very true alright there's the opening um, which is Peter Parker trying to keep his civilian life in balance and yes to, uh, not again listen. torturing Peter Parker as best they possibly can <laughs> a bit slapstick though yeah, there is a little bit of that, but um, I think that's in keeping with the tone of the first film and and how you know the general treatment of Peter Parker. 
I, I also think that, that Raimi was looking at the sure kind of foundation that Donna had laid with Superman, the Superman mm. films. I mean, there's references to it in the, the, the first one of like the shirt ripping open and uh, Mary Jane swinging through the city with Spider-Man. Yeah. And that whole slapstick thing is, is actually very, very Donna. It's very Clark Kent. Isn't yeah, it? yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, but, uh, I, I said in my notes again, I don't feel that Peter Parker's progressed but. Uh, beyond that dweeb Parker, the sort of the high school nerd, mm. I never get the impression that he's become any other man for the fact that he's Spider-Man. No. And I think I think that's illustrated in the opening sequence of the second movie. True, but he is still very much facing the same problems he has in the first one. And I, again, I, that's progress. It's not so much progression, but that's been true to the character from the first movie. Yes. And I think that illustrates the point perfectly that a Spider-Man TV show would be really good. <laughs> if you could get a Spider-Man TV the show together. and if you'd set it in high school. I think mm. I think you could do that. I think it would be like the love, the love, life, and the trials and tribulations of Peter Parker, mm. and then like a couple of sequence at the beginning and sequence at the end of the show. Hey, I'm Spider Man. To be fair, there's been so many different Spider Mans and so many different multiverses. I think they could, <laughs> you yeah. could do any kind of uh, any take any kind of Spider Man and do that. Okay. The second movie in particular, any highlights for anybody? Uh, Doctor Octopus or Alfred Molina. Really? Uh, I think he's fantastic in that role. I love the sequence when he. Uh, him and Peter and his wife are sat down and uh, until <laughs> you're not a fan. No, but not I, at all. I think the interactions between them and the build up of, of that character um, in general, I think they, because they were originally going to cast Sam Neill and I was very disappointed when they didn't. I thought, he's perfect. I and mean, why they cast Alfred Molina? But he's just so good in that role. Did you like his moves? There's, 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 there's a point <laughs> there's, where he's wandering around by the train yard um, yeah. with, his, with his like tentacles and talking to himself because of course he's got no one else to talk to so he might as well talk to the tentacles now and you can see his moves <laughs> hanging out nicely over the, under the trench coat. <laughs> but, then, but then that's very, very kind of 60s, 70s Spider-Man. Yeah. 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 Doc Ogg was, was a big fella yeah. in, 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 in kind of both those decades. It's not the uh, the Marvel movies where everyone's fit and toned. No. No, I, I quite like that. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, like, it's like a real super villain. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> This glossy Hollywood shit. But the, I mean, it's it's a multi-layered character. Yes. I did. You not feel though his wife was just put in there for the sake of being sacrificed? Um, I mean, it's it's, it's not a role that took a great deal of uh, <laughs> of acting skill to undertake. But she must have been wearing a red sweater. Red sweater. A red sweater. But no, he was quite. To be fair, he was quite good as old Doc Ock, wasn't he? Yes, and uh, I think it it would have been quite easy to camp it up or go too evil. Mm-hmm. I think he finds the balance mm-hmm. just about right for Ex- that character, especially in his redemption at the end of it. Yes, he's not he's he's not a horrible man. He's just no. kind of blinded by his life's work. Yes, and, and he's been controlled by these uh, mechanical arms, which I have to say looked amazing. For you, Neil, did um, his portrayal of Doctor Octopus live up to the Doctor Octopus of the comics? Very, very different from the Doctor Octopus, uh, the, the <laughs> comics. Uh, the, the the kind of level of altruism and stuff didn't really exist in Doc Ock. No. I think he's a lot more 3D, isn't he? He's a lot more like, yeah, like three-dimensional. And I think the thing is, if you're comparing it to like the 60s, 70s comics, all the supervillains were all about robbing banks. I mean, <laughs> yes. that, that's basically what it boiled down to. The, the kind of, the, the layers of, of a supervillain only really came back kind of 80s, Onwards, mm. you know. Stan Lee didn't much care for the sort of three dimensional no, did he? No, he, he was trying to he was trying to increase his audience, but he was trying to increase his audience to kind of up to student level at the yeah. time. <laughs> it wasn't. It, there wasn't that aim of you know adults will be reading 
comic books like now. I always felt that Dr. Octopus should have a foreign accent. Well, his name's kind of indicating that, doesn't yeah, it? Octavius. Yes. You know? Um, what else can you tell me about number two? What did, what, what did, what did you enjoy about well, number two? Well, number two was, as I remember, my favourite mm. of, of, the, of the trilogy. Um, on review, though, um, I think it's basically a refined version of the first film. Yes. It's all about the Peter looking for a father figure again. Yeah. Uh, uh, science gone wild. Yeah. Uh, obviously we've had the New York New mm. York stands up for its heroes <laughs> and, and, and I, I do kind of think that probably I liked it so much at the time was because I wanted to see Dr Octopus on the screen and realise yes. Yes. Um, but being very cynical you could take each film as just a different experiment in FX as well yeah absolutely. but they, they still stand up yeah yeah I think that scene where Dr. Octopus, where the medical staff try and cut off that his... Is, that, oh. that is pure yeah. Sambrani, isn't yeah. it? I mean, that's the it? evil dead homage. That is the evil, yeah. I mean, it's still fantastically made. Yeah, and the genius is it's <clears> a PG <throat> film. It is. It's it a is. PG film, but they try to cut these <clears throat> arms off him, but they go wild and start throwing people Oh, and the chainsaw pops over. And, oh. and that's just the evil dead, isn't it? <laughs> it's just fantastic. And then you've got the whole, again, the Universal Monsters. So we've got Jekyll and Hyde yes. in the first... This is Dr. Frankenstein. We'll come on to what, what's in the third, but it, it's definitely about Dr. Frankenstein and tribute. Oh, sorry. So, so one thing we do need to mention is um, so I know that Sony were pushing to have lots of other different bad guys in this film. Right. And um, it's, it's quite amazing even now to look back and think that the first two Spider-Man films had one villain in each. I mean, we'd already set it up with... Batman Returns that Tim Burton kind of created the whole two bad guys nice. in a film and from that yeah. point on it had to be so to have just the one bad guy in especially Spider-Man 2 I think is is very very key to this film and we were meant to have Black Cat wow. <laughs> Green Goblin and the Lizard as well okay, as Doctor well, let, Octopus let, let's address that then because mm. um, Doctor Connor does pop up doesn't he he does with, with he such does. restraint it's just wonderful it's, it's, it's like it's just, um, he's, an, he's another character and we're it's all like, like an easter egg yeah, isn't it, it is. it's, like, it's an easter egg it's like, and why did they not use him for the third film <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> why oh, oh. No, the same with Harry Osborn though we do um, we do see him find the goblin stash yes and did you notice the hobgoblin mask in there? yeah 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 which is a nice nod if they were going to do the Sinister mm. Six. The Hobgoblin's more associated, associated with the Sinister Six mm. than um, the Green Goblin. Because the Hobgoblin was a petty crook. He was, he? who found the Green Goblin's yeah. layer. So that was a nice nod. What do we think? <laughs> let's do this. Let's do the Spider-Man films via the success or lack thereof of James Franco. What do yes. we think of James Franco's role in he's, the second He's one? particularly bad in this film. There's the scene know, where he's I, drunk I, at the bar. I, 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 I'll go you one better. Yeah. I think he's particularly bad in the third one. I think he's quite restrained well, in this In one. the third one, he knows what's... He just doesn't give a fuck anymore. He's got his check. He just wants to get out yeah. of there now. He didn't it. touch it's... pie in the second one. No. <laughs> <laughs> I like the, the idea that there's a deleted scene for the third one where he's actually shagging the pie. <laughs> Alright, so... Um, but there's, again, that's one of the things Raimi does well. He keeps a lot of subplots on the boil. That's one thing about this film. There is an awful lot of subplots. And I but think that's, it, that it does that's, it works to its benefit. And it was reflected in runtime as well. Yes. I do feel a lot of <laughs> Spider-Man 2 is um, it's taken up if Peter Parker just moping. Mm. 
And I think I lose my sympathy a lot for <laughs> Peter Parker. So I think it depends if you buy into the character and you like the character. I think I quite like, as long as Aunt May's not on the scene, I really like pretty much all the Peter Parker We, we came so close to Doctor Octopus dropping off the side of that building. I know, well, we came close. Which is an amazing fight scene. I think even by today's standards, you think that scene's the best part of 12 years old now. I know, and that it works still looks well, fantastic. You know? And kind of yeah. informed a lot of the stuff like in Avengers Assemble where the Hulk's climbing up yes. the building. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You've got to have taken a key from, yeah. <laughs> from what works well in the past. And I, to be fair, even the fight scene on the, um, the subway car very it's good. still, yeah, still very, very good. Very good. I mean, uh, the Wolverine kind of, uh, they did a similar thing yeah. uh, with, you know, the second the train, with yeah. the bullet train. Yeah. And again, that's one of the best things about that film. So superhero movies, have a fire train, it's bound to work. But do you find that, that Raimi has a problem with the consistency over how strong Spider-Man is? Yeah, at one point he can do things and he can't hold the train back. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and, yeah. and at one point, you know, he's like... I, I mean, the first one, he's holding up that cable car bus, whatever. True. And Mary yeah. Jane and himself. You know, and it, there was a lot of variation in how strong... Maybe well, maybe because it, well, maybe it's because the train's going so fast. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. at one point he loses. Is it in the second one that he starts to lose his powers? Which as well? I think was very, very good. I thought that was. Very I think well if you go done. back to the, the body horror thing yes. and the idea of the, the the superhero powers as organic and not knowing yes. what he's doing and being in the time which of again, doubt that really, you know? really works. I mean, it, it's he's. I mean, it, it makes sense when he gives up being Spider Man. And you have that um, wonderful sequence too where raindrops keep falling on the face or whatever the song's called. He's just <laughs> That's alive. the one, yeah. yeah, yeah. He's, he's given up being Spider-Man. All of a sudden life's better. You know, he, he's there in the crowd at the, at the Theatre for Mary Jane's show. He doesn't that, you know, he's there at school. It's all going well. And, you know, I think that, that worked really well as, as, a, as a sequence in the film and felt natural and organic. I think it might speak to the failures of the film in the sense that they're all very similar. So you'll forgive me. Is this the film where Mary Jane starts to go out with Joan Jameson's son? Yes. Yeah. Right, okay. I do think this film particularly marked the beginning of a kind of a holding pattern for Mary Jane. I think the first movie she's quite involved in and she has quite a bit to do and there's quite a bit of her actions that inform the plot. And then come to the second film and the third film, she seems to be there to mope. She'd be yeah. an, ob- an object of affection, mm. but she doesn't seem to do much. What did you think to that? The screamer. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, yeah I, I think. I think basically, Raimi was trying to balance a lot of different emotional beats. He was. Yeah. Within this, and I think that almost like the girlfriend beat, kind of, she becomes she becomes a uh, rather more like an antagonist than anything. Yes. It did make me wonder what Marvel Studios would do with the character of Mary Jane. I'd like to think post-2008, Mary Jane would have a lot more to do, or she would have her own sort of arc in the storyline. See, I'd argue with that. I'd, I'd really? stick with Gwen I'd stick I was going to say, Stacey. in Homecoming, who are, they, who are they going to use? Gwen Stacy or Mary I Jane? hope they use both, because mm. there's a, within the, kind of the 80s comics stroke, the 90s... Uh, cartoon mm. you had both existing at the same time where Gwen was kind of the nice girl yeah <laughs> Mary Jane was kind of the the bad girl mm. and he was kind of torn between these two and that, they as they wrenched Gwen away they then put people like the black cat in and Mary Jane yeah. became the good girl because <laughs> I know for Amazing Spider-Man 2 the the Andrew Garfield one they had actually cast Shailene Woodley to be Mary Jane in in that film and she was cut out, she was she? Cut out. Yeah, so she they, they obviously were planning on doing that so whether they'll do that for homecoming or yeah. not 
will be quite interesting. Um, in terms of the screw, I know Neil and you have talked about this. In terms of the screenplay for Spider Man Two, am I right in thinking it was written by two of the blokes who were um, Smallville? Yeah, Alfred yes. Goff and Miles Miller. <laughs> I think obviously those two blokes weren't Smallville, but they yeah. actually worked on Smallville. <laughs> but I'm not to... sure if much of their script is still actually well, in this what, film. Well, that's what I think me and you had the conversation. Mm. They get the story credit, but I don't think they're actually credited no, as screenplay. No, it's much like Joss Whedon for the first Wolverine. It's like one sequence of his script that's <laughs> in the film. But to be fair, they, they seem to have balanced... I think that's where the balance of the characters comes from. I think that's where the mm. kind of more sort of soap opera team love triangle yeah. comes from, you know, given the, the strength of Smallville. Um, I mean, the two films do feel like a natural follow-on from one another. Yeah, but they do. They, they seem very and much like the same movie. Yeah, and it's uh, you can literally watch them concurrently back-to-back. And uh, I think they both still very much stand the test of time. I'm just looking through my notes now. I do have a line that says, <laughs> Harry's dark and brooding. Aunt May's a narcoleptic with vile mood swings. <laughs> I think there's a scene where Pisa comes into the kitchen and she's actually asleep at the table or like face down. Yeah. <laughs> and she wakes up and she's kind of angry with the world and then she like kisses him on the cheek and tells him to go. <laughs> and I think we mentioned earlier they do introduce Jameson's son as well. Mm. Now, am I right in thinking in the comics he was actually the Wolfman? No, no, he no. Jameson's brought Venom back, brought yes, the symbiote back right, yeah. onto Earth, Did which it? for some reason they didn't do in Spider-Man no. Three. No. Which I thought they would do, you know, which makes sense. I thought yeah. since he'd been jilted by Mary Jane, that would be the perfect yeah. excuse for well, him to go into space. We've created this character, we've set yeah. it up, so but we're not in, instead they use a kind of creep show thing with a meteorite. We'll get to that in a second. <laughs> that, yeah. That's badly underplayed. Um, there's, there's one more point I wanted to raise. At one point, Harry hears the goblin voice, but he's not taken the serum yet. Yeah. Does that kind of suggest that the goblin is sort of inherited insanity? You could read that many, many different ways. I think just as purely as a, as a scene on its own, I think it works really well. But He, break, he breaks the glass, doesn't he? He, he does, goes, yeah. And, he and then he finds it, but I doubt. Yeah, it doesn't, it's one of those things that if you think about it too much, it doesn't make the slightest yeah. bit of sense. <laughs> Okay, um, other high points from number two. I, I know you, you were particularly high on number two, wasn't you? I yeah, think. again, just, just watching it back, it was just... Having, you know, the amount of superhero films we see today, and then going back and watching this film, it just, it's, it's so rare that you get a film that's just, let, it's just got room to breathe. Mm. And uh, it's not overly clogged, and they allow the characters to just develop, and, and um, I, th- I, I just love this film. I really Could, do. See, I, I watched it for the I watched it again recently for the first time in years as I, as I wasn't particularly a fan. Um and I found it quite a slog. And the <laughs> scenes I found quite a slog were the scenes between Peter and Mary Jane. Okay. Just I don't know, Mary Jane to me doesn't do much. Mm. She, 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 she doesn't have me. a great role to do in this film, but you know, she, they do get them together at the end. Any other highlights for yourself? Uh, Michael Bublé doing the Spider-Man thing? Really? At the end? Yeah, you've got... You know, <laughs> you know, you know. maybe Marvel have those Easter eggs at the end of films now, but just wait for Michael Bublé to sing the Spider-Man theme at the end of it. Brilliant. Okay. Uh, which is what I was saying for the first one, actually. It's the first one, I'll be right at the end of the film, they actually play the 60s Spider-Man theme. Really? Yeah, it's really cool. That's you a think? nice little touch. Yeah, yeah. That's, I did like some of the just the random cameos they had in the first film. And, uh, I mean, Lucy Lawless is one of them. She plays a punk girl. Viola Davis. Yeah. Yeah, Uh, yeah, it's... Should we mention Elizabeth Banks at this point? Yeah, we bring her in. For those who don't know, she uh, did originally um, 
screen test for Mary Jane, but was rejected for being too old, even though she was the same age as Tobey Maguire. But uh, I think as a, in her role in the films, I think she brings quite a lot to the character, and I actually quite like that. Of course, as well, number two is the introduction of the daughter of the caretaker of the building which Peter Parker lives in, yes. which everybody was pretty convinced <laughs> was Gwen Stacy. See, I remember you saying it was um, the girl who was going to play Black Cat. Yeah, I thought, I yeah. thought it might have been. It's, um, uh, but I think it was nice that they just have these characters mm. in this film that are just normal people. Who don't have any superpowers, no, who don't have any just, particular effect on the plot. Uh, which, which I think is telling, that we expect everybody it's to be interconnected in some yeah, way. Yeah. yeah, No, they're just normal people who live in this real world that Raby's creating. I think that really works to the film's credit. I have a memory like a sieve, so you'll forgive me. Mm. The movie, how does it end? Um, I think he, re- he wins it's, back Mary Jane? Yeah, Mary Jane runs through, um, I think, Central Park in a wedding dress and decides to ditch J. Jonah Jameson Jr. <laughs> and, uh, and so important we Peter. can't remember his name. Yes, yes. yes. Here comes the Spider-Man. Okay, uh, we'll leave it there. The next part of the Spider-Man podcast should be up in about a week on the internet. We thank, as always, Complimentary Copies for providing the soundtrack. We, invite, we encourage you to follow us both on Facebook and Twitter. Until next time, don't be a stranger.